Genesis chapter 3, and we'll read the full chapter, but our text for the sermon will be on verses 7 to 13, 7 to 13. So Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. 
Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Thanks be to God for it. Let us come before our God in prayer before we turn to the message. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is clear. We thank you that it's true. We thank you, O Lord, that it exposes our sin and our need and our shame and our guilt. And we thank you that it teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation for us. Father, we pray that you would bless us by your Holy Spirit as we open your word, that you would give us understanding that we might know it and understand it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In the study of missions today, there's a lot of talk about the differences between cultures and how those differences need to affect the way that we present the gospel, how we talk about what Jesus has done. And some of the key differences that people talk about between cultures are the differences between what are known as fear-based cultures, guilt-based cultures, and shame-based cultures. Now, in every one of these cultures, people approach the idea of God and the idea of sin in a different way. And so in fear-based cultures, the culture is very much governed by a fear of spirits, of spirits coming to punish you. And so what you do is you're trying to control the spirits so that they're not angry with you. In shame-based cultures, there's a lot of focus on the community, what other people think of you. You don't want to bring shame on your family or on your community. And then guilt-based cultures are very much governed by rules by commandments and by an individual conscience. You don't want to break the rules and bring guilt upon yourself and bring punishment upon yourself. However, at the end of the day, what we need to understand is that though there might be different ways that we bring the message of Jesus in different cultures, the truth is, at the end of the day, the question that every person in every culture faces is what do I do with my shame, my fear, and my guilt. Because every one of us knows what it is to be fearful of God's punishment. Everyone knows what it is to be shamed. Everyone knows what it is to have a guilty conscience. And the question is, how do we rightly deal with our shame and our fear and our guilt? Well, this morning we come to Genesis chapter 3, and we come to this very subject Now, in the first part of the chapter, we we read it. We read about Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve. He's tempted them to partake of the tree, to break God's one commandment. And in verse 6, we read the tragic words that they they took of the fruit, Eve took of the fruit, and she ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And so they've broken the commandment of God. 
And as we go on from there, what we find is the automatic result of that first sin, breaking God's commandment. The automatic results are these very three things, shame and fear and guilt. And so I want to look at verses 7 through 13 with you, and I want to look at Adam and Eve and how they become conscious of their shame and their fear and their guilt, and specifically how they try to deal with their shame, their fear, and their guilt. So we'll look at the sinner's shame, and then at the sinner's fear, and then at the sinner's guilt. So first, the sinner's shame. Look at verse 7. We read, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So Adam and Eve have just sinned. They've taken of the fruit that God told them not to. And we read that their eyes were opened. It wasn't their physical eyes. It was the eyes of their conscience. They became aware of evil. And they became aware of their own evil. You see, there would have been this realization in that moment, wouldn't there? This is what the promise of Satan leads to. He had promised them, your eyes will be opened. You'll be exalted. You'll feel amazing. You'll be like God. And and there was a half truth to that. But here, Adam and Eve realized the lie of Satan, this mixture of half truth, what it was, was a lie. And so their eyes are opened and they come to an awareness that they've lost their innocence. They're sinful. They're shameful. They're unclean. And so we read, they knew that they were naked. You see, before this, they didn't have any shame in their nakedness because they were clean. They could have a relationship with one another with no shame. They could be secure in their honest, clean relationship. But now they feel dirty. They feel guilty. They feel defiled and corrupted. And so they try to hide from one another. What we have here is the first hint of the tension that enters into human relationships. All of us knows what it is to be ashamed, to want to hide ourselves from one another, to fear being exposed because we feel dirty, we feel unlovely. And this is the very first hint of that entering into human relationships. Well, Adam and Eve, in their exposure, in this sense of shame, they set out to try to deal with it. And they deal with it by sewing fig leaves together to make coverings. Now, I want you to notice what they are doing is they are not dealing with the problem of sin itself. They're trying to deal only with its consequences by making a covering of their own making. One commentator talked about this passage and he said, this was the very first attempt at salvation by works. We're going to do something to weave together a covering to cover our own shame. And in a sense, there's nothing else that they could do. I want you to realize later on in Genesis 3, God himself will give them coverings. And in doing so, God is affirming it was right. The desire for them to be covered was a good desire. The shame of their sin needed to be covered. The problem was that they wanted to cover it by something of their own making. You see, what we do to cover up the shame of our sin can never cover our sin in the eyes of God. 
God says in Isaiah 59, their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make because their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. Yet I want you to realize this is what we always do by nature. As sinners, this is what we do with our shame. We sin and we feel ashamed. We feel dirty. We make ourselves polluted and unclean. And what we try to do is we try to cover ourselves by our own efforts, by our own fig leaves. We put on a good show of being very moral, being very upright, being very religious, to try to cover the shame of our sinfulness and our uncleanness. But I want you to realize we can never hide from the eyes of God. You see, we can do stuff to to cover our shame before one another. We can even hide from ourselves. But at the end of the day, the Bible says all things are naked and exposed before the eyes of the one before whom we must give an account. So I want to ask the question of you this morning. What are you doing with your shame? Are you ashamed of your sin? You should be ashamed of your sin. But what are you doing with your shame? Are you trying to hide it? Are you trying to cover it? Are you trying to deny that it's there? Are you trying to cover it up with a life of good works? Well, for Adam and Eve, they tried to cover up their shame by crafting their own coverings. Well, let's move on, secondly, to the sinner's fear. To the sinner's fear. Look at verse 8 to 10. We read, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So you can picture it, can't you? Adam and Eve have just covered themselves by their fig leaves, and now they're looking at one another. Sense of satisfaction, we've covered ourselves. But then they hear something, and suddenly the sense of shame is mixed together with a sense of dread. God is coming. You see, a sound that before they had sinned would have made them overjoyed. It would have made them run to meet God. Now it fills them with fear. And it's a terribly sad picture. You see, all throughout the Bible, we see that the godly, the saints, the people of God, they love to be in the presence of God. For the people of God, there is no better place to be than in the presence of God. In his presence is fullness of joy, the Bible says. But for Adam and Eve, that presence now holds only fear and terror because they're sinful and they're defiled. And so they realize the, the words of God are ringing in their ears. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so they're afraid, rightly so. But what they do is they try to hide. And as we know throughout Scripture, running and hiding from God is very foolish. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Jonah. What happened when Jonah tried to run and hide from the Lord? You cannot hide from the Lord. David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I can ascend into heaven, but you're there. 
I can descend into the grave, but you are there. But I want to pause a minute. Because we are shown something very important here. When God comes, you see Adam and Eve are hiding. And we read in verse 9 that God comes and he calls. And what does he say? He says to Adam, where are you? See, what we're being given in that question is we are being given a glimpse of mercy. God does not come in thunder and in judgment and in wrath. No, God comes asking a question. Now, why would God ask a question? Well, when God asks questions in Scripture, it's not because he doesn't know the answers. God knows everything. No, God asks questions in Scripture because he wants to bring sinners to honest confession. He says to Cain, Cain, where is your brother? Jonah, are you right to be angry? Peter, do you love me? You see, it's, it's like a father dealing with a, a son who has disobeyed gently and firmly, trying to bring that child to confess what they've done, to take responsibility. I want you to notice that everything that God says in this passage up until verse 14 comes in the form of a question. We're being given a glimpse of God's mercy. And so he comes and he says, Adam, where are you? However, sadly, once again, we find that Adam's response shows that he's not actually concerned with dealing with sin itself. He's only concerned with the consequences. He talks about the fear, but he ignores the sin that lies behind it. Now, there are two kinds of fear in Scripture. Adam says, I was afraid, God. I was afraid because you had come. Now, there are two kinds of fear in Scripture. Fear of God. We all know that Christians are called to fear the Lord. We're called to have a healthy fear of God. But you see, the fear of God that a Christian has is always mixed with an understanding and a faith that God is merciful. And so though we are fearful at his holiness, we're in awe, we have reverence because he is holy. Because we also know he's merciful, we run to him with that fear. But there's a different kind of fear of God in Scripture. And that's the fear, the terrified fear of sinners who know that they are guilty, who know that they are sinful, and who know that God is coming in judgment. And it's a terrified fear that makes them run away from God. I want you to realize this is the kind of fear that Adam and Eve are showing here. It's the terrified fear that makes them hide from God. And run from God. And again, I want to ask you the question. What kind of fear of God do you have? Are you afraid of God? Good morning. Are you afraid of God? You are right to be afraid of God. See, the truth is we should be afraid of God. God is holy. God is just. God is righteous and we are sinful. It is right for us to be afraid of God. The question is, what kind of fear of God do you have? Is it a kind of fear that makes you run to him or run away from him? I just want to leave you with that question. That's our second question I'm going to leave you with. But now let us turn thirdly to look at the sinner's guilt. 
the sinner's guilt. Look at verses 11 through 13. God said to Adam, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So after Adam's response that he was fearful of the Lord, God continues with his questions. Who told you you are naked, Adam? Who told you that you were that you were naked? How are you now aware of your shame? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? You see, God isn't giving Adam any room to budge. He's not giving him any, any space to ask questions or to debate. God is just putting his finger on what Adam has done. I want you to realize God is making it really easy for Adam to confess his sin. Again, it's like a parent with, with a child trying to bring forth a confession. God makes it really easy for Adam. He asks him a very clear question. Adam, have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? All Adam has to do is say, yes, Lord, I did. I'm sorry. It's like King David when he sinned with Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan came and he said, David, you're the man. And how does David respond? He responds and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. That's the response that God is looking for. But again, sadly, I want you to look at Adam's response. Instead of saying, yes, Lord, I did it, I sinned, Adam gets defensive. The first words out of Adam's mouth are the woman that you gave to be with me. You see, he begins to talk about someone else. Again, it's like a child. You tell them, have you disobeyed me? And they start pointing at everyone else and what everyone else did to make them break the rules. And so Adam blames his wife, the wife that he followed into sin instead of leading. My friends, I want you to realize that other people might tempt you to sin. Other people might urge you to sin along with them, and those people will be held accountable for their sin. But when other people tempt you into sin, you are still responsible for how you respond. You are responsible to God for your sin and your response to temptation. I want to ask the question, though, what should Adam have done? So here, Eve's eaten of the fruit. What should Adam have done? What Adam should have done is he should have gone to God right away. He should not have eaten from the tree. He should have gone to God and he should have said, Lord, my wife has sinned. She's broken your command Please have mercy on her. Take me instead. Right? That's what a good husband would do. That's what Jesus does for his bride. But what we find Adam doing is the very opposite. He says, no, not me, Lord. It was her. Punish her. She's the one who made me do it. It's actually a really ugly and sad picture of the selfishness of sinners, isn't it? And I think if we're all honest, we realize we've all been there. All of us have ended up doing that, pointing our finger at someone else, saying, Lord, it was their fault. They made me do it so that we can escape 
the consequences of our sin. But I want you to realize there's actually more to Adam's accusation. You see, Adam not only accuses Eve, but he's actually accusing God himself. Listen to what he says. He says, it was the woman you gave to be with me. He's not only full of cowardice, he's not only not taking responsibility, but he's actually accusing God himself. The highest gift that God had given Adam before sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden was his wife. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The highest gift of man was the woman, his wife, whom God had given to be with him. But now he takes that and he turns it into an accusation against God. You gave me the woman who tempted me, Lord. All because he didn't have the strength to resist sin. And again, I want you to realize it is a picture of what every sinner does. Every sinner does everything they can to escape the responsibility of their sin. And Eve basically does the same thing in verse 12. Not quite as pointed as Eve, as Adam's excuse, but basically the same thing. It was the serpent's fault. I want you to realize this is what we do by nature. When we sin, when we have a guilty conscience, our automatic response is to try to distance ourselves from our sin. It's to reason it away. It's to point to other people. It's to blame circumstances. It's even to blame God. It's a picture of what sinners do with their sin. Anything except pointing the finger and saying, yes, I have done it, Lord. I am the sinner. I am the guilty one. I am guilty of breaking your commands. And you would be right and just to punish me. And so my third question that I want to leave you with is this. What are you doing with your guilt? What do you do when you have a guilty conscience? Do you know what it is to honestly confess your sin to God? To come into the light and say, here I am, Lord. I'm guilty. Have mercy on me. As we step back from this passage, from this this scene that we have here, what we have is a very clear picture of sinners standing before God, trying to cover up their shame, trying to hide in fear, and trying to excuse their guilt. It is a picture of fallen mankind. And I want you to realize that if we are left to ourselves, this is our only option. Because if we don't have a promise of mercy, we can only ever do what Adam and Eve did. And what that means is that mankind has no solution to shame, fear, and guilt. You see, this world, all throughout the world, every culture, every country, men and women are sinking under the weight of their shame and their fear and their guilt. And secular psychology and false religion have no answer. They can't take these things away. They can't truly deal with them. Because these are things that flow out of sin as a transgression of God's commands, God's holy law. No, what we need, if we are to have any hope, is we need two things. We need the promise of mercy from the God that we've sinned against. And we need someone to take away sin and its effects. I want you to realize in this passage, we get glimpses of these very things. Now, God, God doesn't give a promise of mercy explicitly. He's going to. 
But the way that he asks questions shows us that he's, he's trying to draw Adam and Eve to repentance. He's not coming in judgment, though he could have. And two verses later, before God ever gets to the point of bringing judgment, he gives the promise of a redeemer. You see, the covenant of works, the, the command in the garden had been broken, but God already had a plan of mercy where he was going to come and he was going to save his people through a redeemer. And brothers and sisters, if we fast forward to Jesus Christ, I want you to realize that what we find in Jesus is we find Jesus bearing sin and all of its effects. Jesus became the object of the sinner's shame. Jesus was accused as a blasphemer and as a criminal, and he hung naked between heaven and earth, rejected by men and forsaken by God. Jesus became the object of the sinner's shame. Jesus was exposed to the sinner's fear. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying and, and sweating drops of blood before he went to the cross, and he said, take this cup away from me, Jesus was facing something of the fear of divine judgment, of God's punishment. And Jesus took the sinner's guilt upon himself. The guilt of his people was placed upon him. And Isaiah 51 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. My friends, Jesus Christ, what Christ did upon the cross is he took away sin in all of its shame, in all of its fearfulness, in all of its guilt, all of its punishment. And because of what Christ has done, there is a way that is open by which sinners, full of shame, full of sin, full of guilt, full of fear, can come to God. They can enter into the presence of the Holy God, and they can have their sins washed away. There's this beautiful passage in 1 John chapter 1 that talks about don't, if, if we walk in the darkness, we're liars. If we walk in the light, there is forgiveness. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And because of what Christ has done, we can come openly and honestly into the presence of God. We don't have to hide. We don't have to cover ourselves. We don't have to deny or pass responsibility on. This is what it means to become a Christian. It means coming and, and standing naked and open before God in all of our sin and saying, here I am, Lord. I'm the guilty one. Wash me. Give me the covering of Jesus' righteousness. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. But it's not only becoming a Christian. This is the life of a Christian. I want you to realize the best and the highest blessing that a Christian has is that they can walk in friendship with God. Day after day after day, we can live in the presence of God in friendship, knowing that he takes away our shame. He covers our shame. He takes away our guilt. We don't need to fear because with him there is forgiveness. And so we can live day by day having the blood of Jesus washing away our sin, washing away our shame, taking away our fear. And we can be friends of God. Well, my friends, that is the good news of the gospel. And as we look around at our world that is full of sin, it's also full of shame. 
We live in, we can see it here. You can see it in every other nation. People are full of shame. They're always trying to put on an exterior to try to impress everyone else and convince themselves that they're not dirty, that they're not unlovely, that they're not sinful. We live in a world where people are full of fear, full of fear, fear of God's judgment, fear of what circumstances will do, fear of of all kinds of things. We live in a world where people have guilty consciences and it weighs them down. And it leads people to suicide. It leads people to mental distress. It leads to so many things. We live in a world full of shame, fear, and guilt. But into this world, God has entered with a message of mercy. A message of redemption. A message that in Jesus Christ, it can all be taken away. Sin can be taken away. This is good news of great joy for all people. And I do pray that in this room, every one of us would receive that message and we would know what it is to sing the praises of our Redeemer. And that we would know what it is to go out into this world and to tell people, people who are sinking under the weight of these things, to tell them that there is forgiveness in Jesus, that there is cleansing and there is mercy and there is hope and there is security in what Jesus has done upon the cross. As our hymn says, I think it's in this Trinity hymnal, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus We thank you for your kindness, your mercy, and your grace. That you didn't come, Father, in judgment to destroy us the moment that we sinned. We thank you that you didn't leave us in darkness to spend our lives trying to come up with our own coverings and spending our lives hiding and spending our lives denying who we are before you. But we thank you, O Lord, that you are a God who in your Son, Jesus Christ, came to seek and to save those who are lost. Father, we are eternally grateful. And we pray that you would fill us with the joy and the freedom that this glorious gospel gives us, that grace gives to us. And would you help us to live in that grace day after day after day so that our friendship with you, O Lord, would never be broken. We thank you that you are friends of those who trust you. We bless you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.